Welcome, my friend. It is Avenue for Growth Podcast, your host, Tina, here, and uh, I am having a guest with me in the studio today. I have Maxime here, and Maxime is the founder of Melania.com, and she's a technical coach for women business owners who are looking to turn their ideas, their businesses into apps or other technical tools technical innovation so this is a wonderful conversation all right to uh, technology geeks talking about technology apps and so forth so i really want to invite you to this conversation listen to maxim she really knows what she's talking about she is an amazing technology coach who helps women entrepreneurs take on the tech world and strategizing the apps from ideas to reality. She's a very outspoken advocate for the need to bridge the gap between technology and business and she's been working on apps that have seen a million downloads on the first day and been featured in Apple retail stores around the globe. She has a background in you know, technical consultant, UX designer, software engineer with over 10 years of experience in that industry and she was a very integral to the team that developed for example SwiftKey, a keyboard app that saw over a million downloads on launch and whose success was profiled in the New York Times magazine. Maxim also has her own podcast, Cutting Through Tech, where she advises on technical strategy for women leaders. Okay, let's welcome Maxim. Good to see you. Good to have you here. Tell me, what is it that you do? Great. So I'm a technical coach to women entrepreneurs, uh, meaning that I help them uh, basically strategize their app into reality or any kind of technical asset or project that they're looking to to create. Um, and my background is also in software engineering, uh, UX design, and basically a bunch of techie things. Amazing. Where are you based? I'm based in London, London. in the UK. So we're going to talk about apps. I think this is just so exciting. And uh, I know that we have a lot of people in the audience, uh, women entrepreneurs and some men as well, who are thinking about apps. And uh, I want to invite you here for two reasons. One, because I know so many people are thinking about apps and reading and looking, not really understanding. And also for very my own reasons, because we are also in the process of building an app. So of course, I want to learn from you, learn from the best, so we could you know, really know like how to do this and, and how we should think around building the apps. So tell me, and let's just start by talking about why apps in the first thing, like why apps? Right. So I think apps are, you know, they're an interesting phenomenon. They're not even that old in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously made more popular since since the iPhone launch. And since then, uh, since then, we've got even more different types of devices that can support apps. Um, it is a huge market. Uh, if you just look at stats from last year, for example, uh, $120 billion have been spent by consumers uh, just in one year. So, and then if you look at kind of total spend, including advertising and so on, the number jumps to over 300 billion. So there, there is a lot of money in the market, though there are also some risks, which I can get into later. What is also interesting that you can see is that uh, for companies that are looking to IPO, if they have a mobile first strategy or approach, on average, their valuation is about 800% more than other companies. So it seems to be a real interesting um, piece that you can add to your, to your business strategy. Yeah. If you ask me, 
Um, personally, why, why apps and how I feel about it, it's, um, I feel like you have an opportunity to be very close to your client, right? Mobile phones are with us all the time. And people have a very close connection to their phone. And the best apps and the most successful apps, they fit into people's lives and almost become a true companion. So if you are in the business of um, a certain type of service or you're looking to truly bring a change to, to people's everyday, everyday business, I think an app is a really, it's, it's a way that you want to consider uh, reaching out to them and connecting with them and, and actually providing that, that change for people. Really exciting. Now, I have a question here. Um, when we talk about apps, and particularly when you work with apps, uh, do you mean or do you work with companies who has the app as the main product of a business? Or are you talking more about having app as an asset to the business? Like for us, it would be an asset to to bring the message out to more people and more convenient ways. That's an excellent question, because I think it can be both. Mm. I speak to both. Um, but I think a lot of people think of a an app first type of company, right? Because actually there are about five different models that you can use an app to support a business. So one is that, for example, your app is your product. We think of Instagram, we think of meditation apps like Calm and Headspace. That is the thing. Now, you can also have a service that is enabled completely by an app, for example, Uber or different shopping apps, for example. You, you provide a service to people that is completely facilitated through technology. You can also have a service that in theory runs perfectly fine without technology. Think of Starbucks, you go in, you grab a coffee, you go, but it can be made easier, better and more lucrative through an app. So you can order Starbucks on your app and then you go and you just pick it up, right? It's already paid for and so forth. Uh, another thing is uh, in the UK, I don't know if you have this elsewhere, um, we've got something called GP at hand. So it's uh, also a, there's a huge tech company here, Babylon, that is working on AI assisted symptom diagnosis, um, but also their services that you can talk to your doctor through mm. the app. So if there's anything wrong, you can schedule a quick video call and get that consultation. Um, depending on whether this is private or um, public healthcare, you know, that is also a way to, to work that into a business model to be able to provide services through an app. Then there is the fact that you sell a product, but that is supported through an app. So if you think of Peloton, uh, they, they sell the exercise bike. That's the main thing. And that's also, quite frankly, the expensive thing and probably the part where they make most of their revenue. Um, but the app supports that experience and it makes it complete. So it's an integral part to, to the business. And then, um, and this is, I think, more of today, you've got people who deliver content or whose IP and content and ideas are the main thing, but an app allows easy access to deliver and monetize that. So you can have subscriptions, for example. Um, so I think one of the first apps to do this was Green Kitchen Stories. They're Swedish, actually. And they used to charge back in the day when it was normal to just charge a dollar for an app. They did that and they had recipes in there. Now, for example, Deliciously Ella um, has a subscription. So it's more like a dollar a month kind of um, setup. But similarly, she launches new recipes in there every single time. If you think of content at scale, you obviously start thinking about Netflix, which is you know much more than an app. It's just a huge tech platform. But the app is a very important part too. So... There are many ways that an app can fit into your business, depending on what you're trying to do. The main consideration I would say is that it's expensive to build an app. We can get into that. But 
it really does need to add to your ROI. You don't want to have you don't want to have an app just for an app's sake, for example. It really does need to pull its weight in the grand scheme of things, I would say, in some way, shape, or form, whether that is like Peloton, that it creates a stickier experience and you're charging for the bike. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it needs to fit into your business plan. Mm, thank you for giving me these five different types of... For sure, we see these examples everywhere, but I think it's really... It's a little stretch for our small business owners to start really looking like, like how could that fit into my product ecosystem? How could that bring in the revenue and increase that, like the return on that investment? So I really love that. So to my conclusion here is that because I had a question about what kind of businesses would benefit of having an app. And, and my conclusion here when I'm listening to you uh, already answering my question is that all kinds of businesses. Um, so let me flip this question and ask you, is there any business that would not not benefit of having a app. Can you give any example of any experience? Yeah, I think you're right. Many businesses could. I think some things to consider and some warning flags, I think, is the ratio of price to the amount of people that you're looking to reach. So as I mentioned, apps are pricey. So you really want to do your due diligence in terms of what it's going to pay off in the in the long run. So if you only work with a few people, say you're a very bespoke client facing company and you say I want to have an app because you know I think that would be great for customers um, better retention a better service and so forth you can't really sell that app then at a dollar a month or, or something like that if you're only sending it out to say 500 or a thousand people max right if you then would need to be charging premium on your services and have the app be a companion and built in now, if you have an audience, say you're a YouTuber, you've got three three million viewers, you can absolutely launch an app at a dollar a year, a dollar a month. And, you know, only a small percentage of your viewers will maybe convert into, into app users. But at that scale, the pricing works out. Mm. So I think the mistake that most companies make, it's not their type of business. It's the fact that um, they haven't accounted for how the app is going to be viable in their business model. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. And this, of course, as we can see, as we were, you were talking about those different kind of use cases. So, uh, and depending a little bit what kind of business model it is really and what kind of um, audience they have and what is the actual need, if it's a supporting thing like asset or if it's something that they want to sell on a bigger scale of uh, um, in, in general, in the business. I'm, of course, very interested in two things. First, how to get started. So how is the actual process of building an app? And then I also want to know what it costs. <laughs> so let's start with that. Like, how is the uh, the process? Like, what was just walk me through? I know you have a process and we all about processes and systems here at Avenue. So that's why I'm really curious to know, like, what is your process? How do you help your clients to build these amazing apps? Definitely. So the process, I would say there are roughly five steps, right? Um, ideation, validation, implementation, launch, and then rinse and repeat. So I'll go through each. Um, firstly, you're, you're thinking about it, right? You've got this app idea. So you're wondering what are you actually going to make and why and for who? And what are you as a business owner hoping to get out of it? I think it is crucial for people to answer these questions and truly have that brainstorm with themselves before they move any further. The number one mistake I see happen again and again is that um, people start looking for developers 
immediately. They're like, oh, I've got this great idea. Mm. It's roughly this. It's going to absolutely, you know, revolutionize the market. It's going to disrupt things. And they look for a developer and they can barely communicate actually the vision of the app in itself. So the key questions to start with are, first of all, we spoke about this already. What is the expected return on investment? Why are you as the business doing this? And once you've thought about that, who is it really for? And do they truly need this? Because if I'm honest, right, there are so many apps that actually aren't downloaded. 60% of the Google Play Store apps have never once been downloaded. So for you to go out and create something that no one wants, that that's not going to be a great idea. I think we all know that. So in your ideation as well, what customer need are you truly solving? What problem? Hmm. So I think once you think about that and get a bit more clear, you can start to move on to validation because now you've got your, your ideas, you've got your hypotheses. And in step two validation, you are going to discover whether they're true or not, right? And based on these learnings, you can start to work out what the first version of the app is going to be. Ways that you can validate are through customer research. You can do prototypes or proof of concepts. You can start working with developers at this phase, but really in the context of a prototype and you want to communicate that clearly that it's, you know, it's something to learn more from. It's not to be perfect. It's not to spend lots of time and money and energy on. Once you get your data back and, and you can see, is this actually going in the right direction? Is this going to make sense? Is this going to pay off? You can move on to implementation. Now, this is again, another big step where you know, you, this is the part where you start working with a team and where you need to be extremely clear on what that first version is going to be, what is included, what is not included, because here it gets messy. Once you start working on it, people want to have everything in their app and it needs to have all the bells and whistles and launch with everything. That's extremely difficult and it's going to often take much longer. This is where a lot of the money goes obviously, because you're hiring people to make it, but also because it's not managed properly. So it's very easy to lose extreme amounts of money here by having something go on and on and on that wasn't necessary in the first place. So scope it down to something that in the industry is called an MVP, minimum viable product, and set a timeline, ideally four to six months tops, because it needs to go out there. You need to actually start proving that it's it's truly working the way you intended it. Then, then there's the launch. Another big mistake that people make is they, they kind of are like, hey, we've built the app, boom, it's now out in the world. It's kind of like you put a business sign in front of your, in front of your shop and you're like, hi guys, we're here. But if you are not preparing that launch properly, it's you, you can miss out on huge traffic. And quite frankly, you're going to again land in that, that kind of 60% of apps that's never been downloaded. So things you can do to prepare a launch well are, um, first of all, promote ahead of time that it's coming. Start to gather people, rally people into a mailing list. I think that's common for any kind of launch, no matter app or not. But also you have the ability to have a beta program, right? So before the app is truly ready, you know, it might be a little bit rough around the edges, but you can, you can show that to people. So get press, get PR, get influencers, key people onto your beta program, have them be a part of your story, right? This is the first version of the app. You're getting a sneak peek. Give us your feedback, help shape it. And that connection again with people is going to stick with them along the way so that by the time it launches, they have something to write about. They know what it's about. They um, can clearly communicate and explain why this app is going to be great. And you get the publicity as well. 
so that people are then hopefully flocking to the stores to come and download your app. And then people think, okay, I'm done. I've, I've paid for this service. I've made this app and that's it. But realistically speaking, that's not the case. So rinse and repeat step five is, is, you know, is also part of it. It's a bit like launching a podcast. You can create your first 10 episodes and launch it. But from that moment onward, you know, ideally you're doing this weekly or every, you know, twice a month or whatever your cadence is, you have to show up regularly. In the app world, that's important for two reasons. One, likely you didn't get everything into your first version that you wanted. So now you're going to be learning and kind of figuring out from your users, what is the next key thing that they need? And you start implementing that. But also realistically speaking, apps, they're not websites. They, you know, they run on a little computer, your phone, and they come with software updates every year. So if you're not maintaining it, it will break over time. And you, I think we've all had that experience that we download an app that looks really interesting. Clearly it's outdated. You try and launch it, it crashes. And you know, you don't want that experience. So again, when you're thinking about budgeting, you also want to budget the fact that you will need to have at least a yearly MOT or maintenance on your app. I was just, uh, um, while I was listening to you, I was uh, kind of taking myself back to my, my uh, old, good old days when I was working and managing huge IT projects. Uh, that was my previous life before I started my businesses. And uh, I remember there, <laughs> I still remember how extremely complicated it is to build different kind of, and not only apps, but we were building different kind of uh, software as a service um, solutions for, you know, banks and financial institutions in Europe. And, and it was messy. It was expensive. It was really, really long projects. And uh, I just kind of got, my, got back into that that how it was to the doing the building and incrementation testing phases and go on and on about it and how how much more it always costs if you don't know what you're doing and what you're what you're aiming to do in different phases how in testing it and so on of course that the team is so important as well speaking of team and speaking of um this you, you were talking about this afterlife after the launch life like when you actually your thing is live there and people are hopefully buying it or you Using it, do you need to have some specific hosting for that, or do you need to have some specific like a team who has, or or can you usually, for example, a company do they bring them their app to their own like a core teams and continue maintaining themselves? So what, how does it look like? That's a really good question, actually, because it's quite different from web in that sense. Mm. No, you don't need hosting. So what happens is with an app because it's a piece of software it gets bundled and sent to Apple for distribution or sent to the Google Play Store for distribution on, on Android. So think of it as you've printed it onto a CD. <laughs> the CD is now the software, like back in the day, and that's it, it's done. It doesn't need to be hosted on the cloud. With a certain caveat, that is the app in itself. If you are providing a service, which most apps do, they need to connect to a platform or they save your login information somewhere or any kind of thing like that. You do need to have a, what's called a backend system, mm. uh, a little bit like the brains of the app or the, you know, the, the backend is usually a combination of two things. It's data storage and it is logic processing. So for example, if you think of Uber, you log in, and then your location gets sent there. It works out where you are, who's close to you, and it sends that back to the phone. So that entire process does live somewhere on the internet on a server. So you do have server upkeep and maintenance there. What the process usually is, is it depends a bit on how you structured it. If you've hired a team, naturally it stays within your company and within the team. 
if you are working with an agency, there is a handover process indeed, and either you contact that agency on a yearly basis or whatever frequency you've got um, to continue working on it. But oftentimes, yes, you'll get a copy of everything. You'll get login details. And ideally, you would have someone in-house that can at least maintain it and look after it. Mm. Who that person is depends because, I mean, this is a whole different topic, but um, there are a lot of different skills in software engineering, uh, just like there are different band members, right? You So depending on the music or genre that you're looking to play and depending on the app that you're looking to create, you'd be looking for different members. But a common thing I see is people don't even realize that an Android app and an iOS app are two different things and quite often need two different engineers. And then you've got that backend system I was talking about. Um, that's another engineer. So, you know, they can't necessarily do all of it at once. You know, yes, at times you find what's called a full stack engineer, but it it's difficult. Mm. So, the team is important. So also when you're thinking about hiring and if you're thinking about budgets, what is your maintenance plan? Are you growing a tech company with an in-house team or are you happy to pay probably a little bit more premium for an agency, but at least they look after it. They have all those different people on board, depending on who your project needs at the time. Um, you know, that's another way of doing it. Yeah, that was it. really interesting. You mentioned that there are different uh, technologies, of course, when you are launching for uh, iPhone and also for Android. Um, just a question. What is your experience right now? Let's say that we would publish an app. Should we do we do we want to build it for all different kind of uh, platforms or is it uh, enough, for example, to just to build it for iPhones? I would always say if you can focus on one for numerous reasons. First of all, if you do your client research, you'll probably find out that they are using one platform over the other. So first of all, literally, where where is your audience, right? That helps you decide. Secondly, and that's a very common thing, many people launch on one platform and then build the next one out. So if your goal is to be multi-platform, that's not a problem. People can be a bit upset if you do have, say, a 50-50 or 60-40 split in your audience. But realistically speaking, A, cost-wise, it's really beneficial to spread it out. But secondly, validation-wise, when you've made the first one, you learn so much that you can apply to the second one. So rather than making the same mistake twice in tandem concurrently the whole time, you can make one and then make the second one better. Um, and many, many different uh, apps have done this. For example, there is a, a facialist device. Again, it follows that Peloton model. They sell a, an electric current device and the app loads different facial treatments on it. That was iOS only for a very long time. And they did that for three years before they became cross-platform. So, you know, it's, it's definitely possible. And I would say, indeed, look to your audience to help you decide. Yeah, that makes sense. When you, people are developing, for example, websites and so on, and uh, I know that it's possible to create shortcuts from mobile. So it's mobile friendly, right? So it's, so to to create the user interface so that those are modern websites are usually. What's the difference really? Like having an app and having that little button on that you can bring to your iPhone and and use that as like an app. Brilliant question. So the difference between a mobile, you know, a mobile first website that you can save or a true native app are a few. Uh, and bear in mind, I also want to say you can have an app that is it's packaged in an app. You can download it as an app, but it's still a website. Uh, that's possible, too. So there are ways to simplify things. But the thing that you're sacrificing and the big difference is access to the hardware of the phone. So another reason, uh, another thing I ask my clients when they're considering an app is 
Are you going to use the phone, right? Do you need access to GPS, camera, gyroscopes, um, location, all of the different bells and whistles that are hardware enabled on the phone? Because if you're creating a game that has like that, you know, accelerometer effect in it, you need that information from it. If you are doing AR or VR, you need access to cameras and to the, the GPU, if you will, the, um, the graphics accelerator that is in the phone. So in that case, it needs to be a true native app to connect to those systems effectively, even software systems. So if you're again thinking about Apple, uh, they've got something called HealthKit, and many people want to sync their health data. So if you're creating a health app and you want that to sync, it needs to have a bridge with that native code so it can work with everything else on the phone. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are just showing content that you already have on a website, say, like it could be recipes like we spoke about, then you can totally just have a, a mobile first, you know, kind of a, a website first, sorry, mobile experience. Mm. Um, so it depends on what you're creating. Mm. I was just thinking about <laughs> just my, my kids are playing Pokemon Go, Go and uh, I had my first actually experience ever to Pokemon Go this weekend. And I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I mean, I my kids being so small and then I now we help them to download this thing and, and they started playing. And it was just an amazing experience <laughs> to see all these things crawling in a house and it was just it was so amazing so i'm like oh i really loved it so i need to start playing that as well it was so fun anyway cool. so it's uh, so cool yeah it's so cool um okay i wanted to to hear a little bit about the cost side so i do understand that it's really difficult to say what an app will cost is there anything that for those people who start looking at like okay i am placed in one of those five categories of a person and I'm start thinking I have a strategy in place. I know why, where to use it, why to use it and so on. What are we estimating? Where can we even start with them, an app like a cost-wise? Right. So the, you know, the cost, the average cost for app development that I tend to give people is 300,000. And there's a few reasons for that. It doesn't necessarily have to get to that amount, depending on what you're making. The reason I quote that is because I don't want people to get started thinking, okay, it's going to be 10 or 20,000. It's a one-off project. Like we already spoke about, people can save, they can spend a lot of cash reserve on that and, and end up with something that isn't at all that, they, you know, what they were looking for, what they wanted to, to create, because it is a process. It takes a few rounds of iteration and it takes time and it takes different skill sets, like I mentioned. So for example, on average, um, a software engineer were to hire them, right? They can, they can be about 50,000 to 100,000 pounds a year in mm -hmm. salary. Now, if you go to the Bay Area, that can go to 150 to $200,000. Now you need for, you know, a good app to be created. Uh, you need the time of about six to 12 months and you, uh, need different types of skills. So you've got indeed your, your, um, mobile engineer, either Android or iOS, you've got a backend engineer, but oftentimes you work with a UX designer and a product manager as well. So if you think about those salaries and add them up, you kind of get to that amount plus another iteration that you might need. If you think about agencies who are actually usually more costly, you also get to that amount because most apps need a backend server. You've got hosting costs as well to think about that we spoke about. And, um, then there is that iteration phase or that update phase, because you want to plan for at least one update, because oftentimes when you launch, there is a lot of stuff that's fixed. There is a lot of stuff that's kind of broken that needs fixing. Mm. So building in that iteration into your, into your budget is key as well. 
Now, it can go up to 500,000 or up to a million. It can also just be about 80,000 or 100,000. It really depends on what you're making. But I think that is a, a fair number that asks yourself, are you serious about this and can you budget for it? And what is the role of the app in the business, mm. right? And if it is just to drive some extra traffic, for example, you're right, you could go with a mobile first, sorry, a website first approach. Um, and that is far, far cheaper. And that could just be a, a acquisition tool as opposed to a delivery tool in itself for your service or your product. So I think knowing that number helps you think about, okay, what are my options? And then the best thing to do is to talk to some local agencies or to talk to local developers and, and get a more accurate cost for your area and for your particular product or app that you're looking to create. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Now, I was thinking, uh, do you, uh, you were talking about what you're doing in the beginning, but I just wanted to be really clear. Do you and your team, do you build apps or do you teach uh, the women entrepreneurs how to design and, and so that they can go then to an agency, for example, that you might recommend? So do you do both? Currently, I, I do indeed work with people. I don't build the apps yet. Mm -hmm. Um Ideally, yes, that's coming, uh, an agency within, you know, in-house. Um, but I work more in the beginning phases around validation and um, making sure that you've got the specs right to actually hand off to an engineer. Yeah. Because what I've noticed is that's where most of the time it goes wrong. People have those ideas and they go straight to the developer. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you think about it, a developer is, you know, they're great at their jobs and their job is to build stuff robustly and correctly. So given a certain spec, they can go off and do that a bit like a builder in a house. When you get an electrician and a plumber, if you mm -hmm. give them the blueprints, they will do their job beautifully. Mm -hmm. But it is not up to them to design and create your house, yeah. right? You need an architect for that. You need people who think about what is the space that you're trying to create? What are you looking to do? What's the function of the house? What works in the environment that you're at, like the landscape that you've got and all that kind of stuff and put together that plan and that blueprint. Um, that's kind of what I do. That's mm. where I help. Uh, and then you can indeed go to an agency or I can help you look at team members and how you might want to hire depending on what suits your, you know, your business. Uh, and you can start to work on that blueprint and make it real and build a house, if you will. That reminds me a lot about also what we do, because at Avenue, we also we do a lot of uh, we teach digital transformation. We teach things like how you should think about uh, when you want to transform your business, for example, from being a local business to uh, maybe, you know, international business or global business, if you want to go to a digital business. And it can mean so many different ways. So I know that a lot of people instantly think that, you know, if you want to go and becoming a international online business, so it's an online course. So and that's not really what we do, because there's so many different ways you can have and online based business um, based on the different business models of what you do and so on so to make the right decisions and have the foundation ready and before you approach a digital marketing agency before you approach anybody who is going to build that thing if this for example our clients don't have the in-house in resources for them so it's so important and that's where the 
their most difficult it is really to really decide and understand what is what do I want first like and 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 how 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 will that fit into my goals and vision what I'm building here and then of course when you have a really clear roadmap and you know exactly what you want and you specify everything to the point that it's so easy to follow then it's really easy to find an agency really good development team who can actually build that thing test that thing so you know you are getting there but without that roadmap Map, there's no way of knowing where we're going we always said the same thing like listen uh we can shoot to, to the goals all, all day all night but if you don't know uh, where the goal is if we cannot locate it and if you're moving it all the time we never get there so it's just like it's just not happening so we have to be very clear and that is the buyer's role in this they absolutely need to know where they want to get with this thing because nobody can build anything if we're just like i don't know something <laughs> Exactly. And I think also confidence plays a huge role in that because I think another difference about working directly with people and why I call myself a technical coach, and I also see that in the work that you do, is you help people really build these skill sets themselves to manage these projects and, you know, build this business themselves. Because you can go to an agency and they can take your idea and say, okay, fine, we're going to do some customer research, we're going to make a prototype, and then we continue. But what I noticed time and again is this kind of unspoken discomfort around technology. People are, let's be honest, a little bit terrified of yeah. the thing <laughs> they want to do is outsource it. They're yeah. just like, you take it or yeah. they're desperately looking for a CTO, right? Yeah. People who start a kind of tech first company are like, please, I want a CTO. CTO. I want you to deal with all the tech things because I don't want to. And that breaks my heart. I'm like, yeah. no, it's actually not that complicated. It yeah. really, truly isn't rocket science. It mm-hmm. just needs someone to break it down such that, you know, at the end of the day, it's your company. You know your vision. You know where it's going. And this plays a role in that. So mm-hmm. technical strategy is just as important as financial strategy mm-hmm. as everything else. So it's important to build that muscle around how to how to think about it and how to... Uh, create a roadmap for your business that includes these assets that you're looking to build. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. This is funny, you know. Two geek girls talking about technology that it's not that difficult. So I think our listeners are like, yeah, well, you've been doing that for twenty. I've been in technology for twenty years, so I know. (laughs) For me, it's not difficult. But I also do see a lot of challenge. But exactly to the point that you said, like people, particular. I mean. Here's the thing, what I see all the time, and now we're kind of a little, I just wanted to acknowledge this thing. A lot of people want to transform their businesses online because we understand the attraction in this. You work mostly online. I do that for sure. I mean, there's just so much attraction in doing that. What a lot of people don't understand, and once they start doing that, they must start understanding also that they are actually building a technology company. They are no longer a coach, for example, or interior designer or something. They are building a technology-enabled company. And they need to, whether they want it or not, they absolutely need to start understanding and speaking technology. That is the language. And, you know, you can learn it like we speak. I mean, we learn to speak English. It's not your first language, isn't it? You speak Dutch, right? No? Dutch, Dutch yes. yeah, and Finnish, yeah, Finnish and Swedish are mine. So we learn to speak this language, and and mm-hmm. technology is also a language. Nobody needs to become like a full stack, uh, you know, developer uh, because just to to be able to run an online business. But you have to understand what is it that you want, what is possible, and 
how you actually can buy that thing from the people who are doing that thing because it's really really sad to see people completely kind of losing the interest they don't want to deal with those things and then they are buying services that don't give them what they want and then they are being fooled by other people because it is easy I mean there are a lot of agencies who can take your money uh, and and say yeah yeah we can do that for you and if you don't know what you're asking and you don't know what you're buying they are selling you that thing that you don't know what and um it's so sad. It's so sad. So listen, this was, I could, you know, I could continue on and on. And this is so fun. But where can we find you and get more of your coaching? Absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. This was such a wonderful conversation. I agree. We could go on for hours. Um, right. You can find me on menenia.com. And I also host a podcast called Cutting Through Tech, where actually I just wrapped up a season that is all about apps. So if you are looking to learn more about apps, you can check that out. And yeah, I'm also doing a masterclass or a webinar effectively because everything is online now mm-hmm. uh, on successful apps. That is at the end of June, June 26th, uh, 5 p.m. in the UK, probably 6 p.m. if you are based in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so if you're interested in that, you can tune in. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And that's a wrap with Maxime. Thank you so much for Maxime for being here. My guest, wasn't it amazing? And I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts? Are you going on and thinking about creating an app? Is this something that you would be interested in thinking and looking at a little bit more? I strongly recommend that you go and join Maxim's uh, masterclass. We're going to link to that so you will find it as well. And you can join it and you can get a little bit more training from her and uh, in deciding whether this is something that you would like to do. Another thing I wanted to talk about. Now, we have a certification process for business coaches, men and women who have been working in the marketing space, have preferably also have been working in some kind of a technology space, tech digital transformation, and would like to work as a business coach and help clients in this navigation of creating a strategy, creating a growth strategy for the businesses, small businesses that are going international, businesses that are growing to new markets, and everything that is included from the creation of the concept, scaling the business model, creating assets for the company, putting together systems and processes for marketing, sales and uh, operational efficiency and all that good jam that we are talking about here and also we're doing at Avenue. So I wanted to invite you to have a look at avenuecoach.com. If you go to avenuecoach.com, you will find information about our certification process. And uh, if that makes sense to you, why don't you book a call with me or just apply and send some information about you, why you would be a great addition to our team and a great business coach in helping small business owners in your area or why not internationally too, to grow their companies scale their operations, increase their revenue, get better profits and have a little bit more fun while they're building their businesses. So if this is something that you've been looking at doing, you would like to either become a business coach and focus on the growth activities or maybe you already are one and you wanted to have very highly well-packaged 
digital products and services that you can service to your customers and clients. You don't need to worry about the technology. You don't need to worry about building these tools and, and, and frameworks and infrastructure. Everything is ready for you to first learn yourself, get certified, and then start working with your customers running highly profitable growth programs. Why don't you send a message and uh, let's talk about how we can help you grow your impact and business. Okay, that's all for today and I want to thank you for joining me here today. I want to wish you a wonderful weekend because it is Friday and uh, I talk to you soon again. Thanks, bye.